24th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I am your host, Julia Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. This project is made possible by the Tao Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I am a graduate of that program, not a student, and if you don't know me, I have a long history of covering and researching the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boys. Now, I want to briefly explain this project before I get into this week's episode. Decoding Fox News was designed to help the friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, and colleagues of people who are deeply entrenched in the Fox News universe. Think of this as a support group of sorts to help you navigate the nonsense that your Fox-loving friends might spew at you. Throughout this podcast, I will refer to something called the newsletter. It can be found at my Substack channel for Decoding Fox News. It is completely free. Basically, if you want to find a hyperlink that I mention or a story that I mention, if you want to go look it up, go to the newsletter. It will have the exact same title as the podcast and should be right underneath it in the feed on my Substack channel. Very briefly, before I get into this week's episode, my grant officially ends in mid-February. We still don't have a new home for the project. The project is right kind of on the brink of becoming self-funded, although it will take months before it will be. But based on the growth of viewers and subscribers, I have faith that this could become a self-funded project. Uh, it's not nowhere near that yet, but I also think as the Republicans take over Congress and start pulling a bunch of nonsense, that will increase interest in projects like mine, um, as Fox is just going to go off the walls with crazy footage and segments about, you know, their brave Republicans screaming about Hunter Biden and other ridiculousness. So... We'll see what happens. I have no idea. But if you want to support this project, I have a Patreon account for Decoding Fox News. And there's also a dollar sign next to my name on Decoding Fox News. Although in some devices you can't see that, apparently, I've been told. But there's a little dollar sign that you can go directly for donations that will help fund this project. Um, Thanks to my Patreons, I was able to get a much nicer microphone. I also have much better audio editing software, though I'm not using it right now because it's going to take me a minute to relearn it. <laughs> it's the Pro Tools, which is what I learned in grad school, but it is a little bit more complicated and I just need to work with it a little bit before I do an entire podcast on it yet. But I'm very excited to have it and it's all due to my Patreon. I never know if I'm supposed to call them patrons or Patreons or what. I don't know. I don't care. I'm very, very thankful for anybody who will throw five bucks a month at this project or 10, or 25, or whatever you can give, or nothing. If you listen and tell your friends, that's also great. Here's the headline, Fox News. Blame Pete. Santos is a liar, but Republican liars are okay. The commies are coming. A condensed overview of, drumroll please, 30 hours of Fox News for the week ending January 2nd, 2023. That's right, 30 hours. I did double because they were giving me nothing. A typical Fox News viewer might think that the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, was solely responsible for a record-breaking blizzard and Southwest Airlines' complete meltdown. 
If a Fox fan watched Tucker Carlson tonight, they might think representative-elect George Santos was a pathetic liar. On Jesse Waters' primetime, Santos was depicted as a victim of a hypocritical Democratic Party. Anyone who exclusively watched Fox News last week may not know that there was a massive blizzard in northern Japan or that two men received long prison sentences for their role in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. They might have also missed that New York Governor Kathy Hochul deployed the National Guard to help keep the peace in Buffalo after an extreme storm. Last week on Fox News, the network seemed to be run by a skeleton crew of interns and D-list talent. At least half a dozen times during the 30 hours of Fox News I consumed, I could clearly hear a technician give instruction to a guest to move to a certain direction that was better for the camera. The day after Christmas was filled with clip shows of recycled segments. Tucker Carlson showed interviews from his streaming show, Tucker Carlson Today. Jesse Waters had a full hour of old man-on-the-street segments. Hannity featured the host's favorite monologues from the year, and the Ingram Angle was a string of previously aired segments about the Twitter files. I wanted to give you something this week, so I decided to capture all four of the primetime shows instead of my usual one. Even though I doubled my workload, I was still struggling to get much of anything as half the segments were Fox's spin on the border crisis or tips on how to return Christmas gifts. The strangest substitution was Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett for Sean Hannity. Jarrett is fine in short clips, but he has a small fraction of Hannity's charisma. I found myself feeling bad for Fox News commentator Joe Concha. Concha might be bland, but Garrett was downright dull. And Hannity always keeps promising Joe Concha he should have his own show. He says that quite a bit. And I was just like, Concha. Concha! I felt, I mean, I don't care for him, but I felt bad for him because I was like, he has more talent than... Greg Jarrett was just, that's a sleep aid, what that is. That's just, wow. Just, wow. Just odd man. Bad on camera. I didn't get it. There were some highlights, though, as Rachel Campos Duffy subbing for Jesse Waters brought her signature tinfoil hat conspiracy theories mixed with enthusiasm and dread, while Tulsi Gabbard subbing for Tucker Carlson managed, believe it or not, to conduct a hard-hitting interview with a pathological liar. That was actually exciting. She was kind of awful, but she had her moments, and I was like, ooh, Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know if they'll have her back. We'll see. Shows that I covered last week. Fox and Friends, The First Hour, The Five, Jesse Waters Primetime, Tucker Carlson Tonight, Hannity, and The Ingram Angle. So our first segment, Rachel Campos Duffy and Tommy Lahren kicked things up a notch. Now this is edited from a much longer segment, but I noticed both of them were just histrionic in their enthusiasm and dread that's the best way i can put it enthusiasm and dread it's like i'm excited and everything's going to hell he's absolutely in over his head i'm actually surprised he's not on paternity leave right now as we have more chaos but you know what i wish rachel i wish that the biden administration would be as excited about holding these airlines accountable for flight delays and cancellations as they were imposing a face diaper mandate making sure everybody masked up between bites because i wish they cared about heating costs for people on fixed incomes who now are freezing to death um as well I think really at the I just want to point out that Rachel Campos Duffy has dropped that completely baseless claim before 
the the fact that people are quote unquote freezing to death due to high energy costs except she hasn't provided a single example of that people did freeze to death in their cars during a blizzard but that's entirely different than freezing to death due to high heating oil costs part of it tommy is that the biden administration is so focused on equity and affirmative action if they weren't we wouldn't have a people to judge we wouldn't have a kamala harris we wouldn't have a corinne jean pierre so that's rachel campo stuffy keeping it classy for assuming that all of the people that she just mentioned were hired based on their race or sexual orientation which is disgusting for her to say that and i just want to remind rachel campo stuffy that Hurricane Katrina, which was a huge fiasco for FEMA and the federal government, at the time FEMA was run by an old white man and our president was also an old white man. Yes, they can screw up too. They can. Rachel. Well, and let's also keep in mind that their other religion is climate change. And so they do yes. everything they can to strap these airlines with regulations and to make fuel more expensive. And let's not forget it doesn't impact them because they fly private on our dime. Pete Buttigieg has done that himself. So it doesn't impact well, again, what Pete has often said is that the airlines need to take accountability for this, and they do. But if the government's not imposing any consequences, we're going to continue to see this. Now, he's also and you're also seeing the ramifications of when you impose a vaccine mandate on the airlines. Let's not yes. forget how we got into this mess. Southwest, yeah. Southwest is also saying that they're having a problem getting workers to show up. Well, I wonder why that happened. It all goes back to their precious COVID lockdowns and everything they did thereafter with their COVID policy. And we are still in the aftermath of that. Yes. Um, it yeah. feels like we're in a third world country. Um, every time we go to the airport now, as we have to deal with all of these things. And that phrase already is just ridiculous. I mean, it feels like we're in a third world country every time we go to the airport and deal with these things. Hey, Rachel Campos, Duffy, I would love to see you in an actual airport in a country that you would refer to as third world. You know, I would love to see that. I would fly on the wall, love to see how you would react in an actual impoverished country's quote-unquote airport, which would probably be a landing strip with a with a control tower, and that's it. It would probably be military. <laughs> Not really pleasant. I don't know how many commercial flights um, some deeply impoverished countries get, but I'm sure they get them, but just probably not a ton of them. And most people in a third-world country are not going to the airport often, so anyway, whatever. It's completely absurd. Third-world country. I also want to point out that Tommy Lauren was pushing a myth when she brought up the COVID-19 vaccine mandates. So as late 2021, the company said that 93% of its employees had been vaccinated for COVID-19. Now, the vaccine mandate was blamed for another much smaller outage that the company had in October of 2021. But this was debunked by both the company and the pilots union who said that the outage was actually caused by extreme weather, not the vaccine mandate. Um, but that's not going to stop anybody on Fox from repeating false information or inaccurate information. So our next section is simply called Blame Pete. The government can't solve any problem. In a strange twisting of logic, the cast of the five continually blamed Buttigieg for not doing more to solve the Southwest Airlines crisis while also lambasting all government agencies. Basically, they were saying they wanted more government, but that the government intervention made everything worse. So I'm just going to play the segment because it is very, it was like, what are you doing? And this is over two days. I collected clips from the five because I kept going, they're contradicting themselves. Can they not hear that they're contradicting themselves? I guess they can't. 
The voices that you will hear in this clip, it starts with Rachel Campos Duffy, moves to Katie Pavlich, and then Kennedy. But have no fear, Mayor Pete from South Bend is on the case. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says he'll come down hard on Southwest. Ooh, tough guy. But why didn't Mayor Pete prevent this from happening in the first place? Joe Biden doesn't care. I mean, he's flying Air Force One. All his rich climate friends are flying private. Um, what can the government do anyway? Yeah, that's what's yeah. going to happen. That is usually the government solution, just spend more money. You make a great point. They could have, you know, uh, upgraded their own system. They had the money to do that. At the same time, Katie, uh, you know, the government put some really awful mandates on yeah. the airline industry. And a lot of people left the, the industry because they were forced out because of mandates yep. yeah. and it created shortages. So the government creates right. these problems right. and then gets mad and, and, and <laughs> postures yeah. when things aren't going right. However... Yeah. These calls for the government to come in and do something to change this problem, especially with someone like Pete Buttigieg, who couldn't even fill potholes in his town where he was mayor, uh, I think that he will make it worse. It was President Reagan who said some of the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm here from the government (laughs) and I'm I'm here to help. Uh, I think that they'll make it worse, that the government over-regulates a number of these industries. And when Congress takes a look at this, uh, especially House Republicans in January with the new uh, Congress, I hope that they ask the question about are there regulations that are causing more problems for the industry rather than only looking at putting on more regulations to prevent this from happening in the future? Ultimately on the because question of Congress, do you think they can make it better? Because I'm not sure government makes these things improved. I think they pass laws for more regulation that actually makes it harder to manage these these issues. I think they always make it worse. And I think they compound the problem. And when you have people running around flapping their gums, like the Secretary of Transportation, saying, no, no, everything's fine. It's all going to be better because then they don't have to do any real work. So none of that actually supported their argument that Pete Buttigieg isn't doing enough. I mean, you can't say Pete Buttigieg is not doing enough because he works for a government agency and government agencies always mess things up. So by that logic, Pete Buttigieg should go on vacation and just not do anything. And the market itself will figure it out. The market will figure all of it out and you don't even need government agencies. You don't even need government. (laughs) So why are you complaining about the government? I mean, it just, ah, and we've had um, airline meltdowns before. This is a common issue, sadly, in a country the size of the United States with as many planes as we have up in the air. And I can't remember in my lifetime, the Department of Transportation, the Secretary of Transportation being singled out for blame for a single airline collapsing, basically. Now, the next clip is of the kind of the liberal response on the five. And because, again, it was just every show was full of what? Who are these people? Why are they on the show? Richard Fowler, who is an infrequent guest in the liberal chair on the five, did get a zinger in. And I'm going to play that in a second. But he briefly stated some counterpoint to the confusing government is bad, we need more government argument, even though his co-workers kept kind of shouting over him. But he did get something out, and that was good, and go foul. Richard, I'm going to ask you a sincere question, and and I'm not saying this to be (laughs) mean. I hope my question was sincere. No, 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 but I'm I'm asking, are Democrats, Democrats have a lot of hope in Pete Buttigieg. Are they embarrassed of just how he's performed (laughs) over the last couple of years? This is not even about Pete Buttigieg, though. Let's be very clear. You this saw is that. He acted like oh, a no, 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 hold on. 90% of the flights that have been canceled in the United States is from one airline. A majority of the flights canceled around the world 
is from one airline. So to sit here and to blame this on the transportation secretary when you have one airline and one irresponsible, it's not even the employees of this airline. It's not to one be, airline. No, 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 it is, it is. 90% of the, I did not interrupt you, 90% okay, okay. of the flights. You're not answering what Thomas are, said. But, but well, here's, he, he I'm making step my point. And do it. 90% of the airline, 90% of the flights canceled in the United States today are from Southwest Airlines because you have a bad management, you have a, they have bad software, you can't blame the flight attendants, you can't blame the pilots, you can't blame the ramp agents, you have to blame the people who sit in the corporate suites of Southwest Airlines for canceling flights. Period. The end of story. But to blame could, Pete Buttigieg but, but for could, the fact that Southwest can't manage their planes could, is ridiculous. But could, you can't blame but, him for that, but you, but could, could, you can critique said, the response. Yeah, but could, you, yeah, exactly, you could they the put response. buses, could they get buses just like they do for illegals and move people? I, I, mean, mean, I mean, sure, but once again, this is a this is about right. capitalism and an airline that cannot manage it. Well, Don't fly Southwest Airlines. Take all right, good, good point. <laughs> I love that he got capitalism out there because he was sort of pointing out what they had all been saying. Like, they're going, the government is horrible. The government shouldn't intervene at all. These regulations that are doing this, and it's the government that made everything worse, but the government needs to do more. And then he just steps in and goes, yeah, it's capitalism. One company fell apart because it's poorly run. What do you want? Customers won't go to that company anymore. There you go. Like, that was sort of their argument thrown back in their face, but in a very succinct way, and I thought it was great how he handled them. But, you know, what is the role of government in, in something like what happened with Southwest? It was very specifically one company that screwed up. My suspicion and the suspicion of many of my followers on Twitter is that Fox News is going after Pete Buttigieg because they view him as a potential threat in future elections. So, of course, they have to tear him apart and make him into a buffoon and all of that. So the next section is about George Santos. It's called George Santos is a liar. Tulsi Gabbard, let him have it. George Santos is a newly elected congressperson from New York State who was caught lying about major parts of his background, work experience, and education. He lied about so many aspects of his life that if I listed all of them, I would run out of space on Substack for this newsletter. I'm not even joking. It's like, woo! The Independent has compiled a detailed list of his many false claims. There's a hyperlink in the newsletter. One of his most insensitive and outrageous proclamations is that his family is Jewish and fled Europe during the Holocaust. Both sets of his grandparents were born in Brazil, and there's no proof that any of them were Jewish, much less Holocaust survivors. Fox News had a mixed reaction towards Santos. During Fox and Friends, the host's reactions towards his lying scandal was lukewarm. Tulsi Gabbard, while subbing for Tucker Carlson, decided she would confront Santos. And I am very critical of Miss Gabbard for a number of reasons, but I will give her this. She did go for this man's throat, even though she did it in kind of a weird Tulsi Gabbard stilted way, but she did it. The questions that, that really probably hits home to a lot of people is, is are you Jewish? We've, we've got a letter that your campaign sent out earlier this year, which reads as follows. As a proud American Jew, I've been to Israel numerous times for educational, business, and leisurely trips. You said there in that letter that you are, quote, a proud American Jew. How do you, how do you explain that? My heritage is Jewish. I've always identified as Jewish. I was raised a practicing Catholic. I think I've gone through this. Even I've not, not 
being raised a practicing Jew, I've always joked with friends and circles, even with in the campaign, I'd say, guys, I'm Jewish. Remember, I was raised Catholic. So, look, I understand everybody wants to nitpick at me. I, I'm going to reassure this once and for all. I'm not a facade. I'm not a persona. I, I have an extensive career that I worked really hard to achieve, and I'm going to deliver from my experience because I remain committed in delivering results for the American people. I campaigned on inflation. I campaigned on crime. I campaigned on education. I campaigned on delivering resolve for the American people. That's what the people of the 3rd Congressional District heard me on and on as I campaigned. Now it's going to be up, uh, incumbent upon me to deliver on those results, and I look forward to servicing, you're, you're servicing exactly and, right. and serving my, my district. I look forward to serving my the, the people results, in my district to make sure the that they see that, that this is what for. the results that people are looking yeah, well, for I, are called into question when you tell blatant lies, not embellishments. And this is this is, I think, one of the biggest concerns, Congressman-elect, is that you don't really seem to be taking this seriously. You've apologized. You said you've made mistakes, but you've outright lied. A lie is not an embellishment on a resume. You said you worked at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. But they've said, we've got no record of this guy working for us. You've said you've gone to and graduated from these universities, but they've said, well, we've got no record of that. These are blatant lies, and it calls into question how your constituents and the American people can believe anything that you may say when you are standing on the floor of the House of Representatives supposedly fighting for them. That's the real issue here. Now, I have no idea if Tucker Carlson himself would have been so aggressive with Santos. Carlson often doesn't match the narrative that's pushed on Fox News about any number of issues. In regards to the war in Ukraine, Carlson certainly does not uh, run with the flow that most Fox uh, News hosts do. Most Fox News hosts would say they're not crazy about Ukraine. They might be critical of the U.S. government's involvement in Ukraine, but they're not nearly as hostile towards um, the Ukrainian government. Uh, Tucker Carlson uniquely seems the most pro-Putin, most pro-Russian host on Fox News. So I have no idea if Tucker told Tulsi Gabbard to be that aggressive if Gabbard, or if Gabbard did this completely on her own. But she was back on the air on Fox News later that week, so Fox management must have been okay with it. She did address the fact that some people criticized her for that uh, interview and that she basically doubled down. So as much as I would criticize Tulsi over any number of issues, I will tip of the hat to her for that because Santos needed that type of interview. The next segment is from Jesse Waters Primetime, hosted by subhost Sean Duffy, who's married to Rachel Campos Duffy. He also has a history with MTV, which is odd, but true. And he's a former U.S. congressperson and a former prosecutor. His guest during this segment was Ned Ryan, founder and CEO of American Majority, a conservative organization that trains candidates and activists. Both of them felt that the real victim of this George Santos lying scandal was George Santos because of this evil, hypocritical Democratic Party that was being so unfair to him. It's night and day from how Tulsi Gabbard dealt with him. And how rich is it? They have no shame to go, George Santos is a liar. He should resign. They don't look in the mirror at themselves to go, hey, listen, we got a problem with lying ourselves. Maybe we shouldn't make this claim. Well, all they're trying to do in this situation is really put us on the defensive uh, and, and, and not really have the equal. They're not in, interested in equal standards, Sean. They're no. trying to put everybody else on the defensive to try and get them to try and defend this and, and maybe even get Santos to resign. 
they are past that point of shame and past that ability to actually look at themselves and go, yeah, we are pretty much a bunch of liars and dishonest hacks. We should resign as well. No, it's just a weapon. They're just trying to get us to shut up, and we won't. And this is the new right. We are not going to shut up. We'll punch right back at them. And you were right in the opening. Sure, Santos can resign once they resign and not until then. I'll tell you this. Uh, George Santos lied before he was sworn in. He doesn't get sworn in until January 3rd. Liz Warren actually lied why she was a senator. That's a big That's difference. Right. George Santos. So Joe Biden. Do not, re- don't, do not resign. Stay in Congress. That's right. And work for your district. Ned Ryan, thanks yeah. for joining me. Always smart. Happy New Year. Thanks. Now, the, the lie that they're claiming Elizabeth Warren made while she was senator was the fact that she thought she was part Native American. Um, I don't know if that's a lie per se or just something that she was told by her family. She didn't do her due diligence to look it up and she went around saying it for years. I think she honestly believed it and this happens quite commonly with families who are told one thing by a relative and they just believe it and they don't even think to look it up because why would you not believe your grandmother or your aunt or whatever? And Elizabeth Warren's actually from Oklahoma, which is a state full of people who have a lot of Native American heritage because it used to be one big Native American reservation. Uh, And then it became a state. So there's a lot of, and there's still a large um, indigenous population there. So I I don't know, is that a lie or is that just, you know, something she probably shouldn't have run around saying in public, especially because she's an elected official Um, And, you know, DNA tests are relatively new in regards to looking up your heritage. Uh, My heritage, my family openly made fun of it, it lined up perfectly with our family tree, and we found out we were the whitest white people ever on the planet. Um, We openly laughed at it. So (laughs) no surprises, and it was 100% European. Woo! We were actually hoping for something a little bit more interesting, and we were let down. Um, Anyway, so yeah. I think a lot of people just get told kind of fairy tales by their family. Anyway, George Santos, however, lied about going to prep school, lied about going to a specific college, said he graduated from this college, never even went there, lied about where he worked, lied about his family's heritage, lied about his mother's death, which I think is very, oh, wow, you're really pushing it when you do that. He claimed his mother died at 9-11. His mother did not. He also claimed in one tweet that he was part black, and there's no evidence of that. I mean, Brazilians have a a typical Brazilian has a nice genetic mix, but he actually said his father was black and his father's not black. So there's a lot going on with George Santos. It's very suspect. Um, it's, It's a lot more than just one, you know, misunderstood family story, which was Elizabeth Warren. So this next section is my personal favorite Uh, crazy town on Fox News, and that is the new Red Scare. Um, I get really worked up about communism because I witnessed it firsthand, and I hate it when people call things communist that are not communist, and this is a great example. This also includes my voice. Um, I found some basic stats about the U.S. economy and stuck them into this video to sort of drive this point home. And this is Katie Pavlich being somewhat hysterical about communism destroying capitalism in the United States. Plus, the woke don't work. Why the co-founder of Home Depot is blaming progressives for destroying capitalism. 
with the student loan bailout, right? Absolutely. You know, look, this has been a slow march uh, since the 60s with this push for, for socialism. And the fact is that they are, socialism and capitalism are very different models for government. Socialism has, socialism has failed at every turn that it has been used. And when you're in a society where there are more people working than not working, uh, that turns it upside down. And I think that after the COVID pandemic, where the government forced everybody to shut down and then mailed checks out, fundamentally changed the way people think about what the role of government is uh, in this country and the power they have over private industry. Um, but I will say on the other side, I know a lot of really hardworking people when I go out. Yeah. The United States is hyper capitalist. There are 32.5 million small businesses. 58% of Americans own at least one share of stock. Home ownership is at around 65.5%. In actual Soviet-style communism, no one but the state owned property. Citizens could not own shares in a publicly traded company. And all businesses were owned and operated by the government. There's also no viable socialist or communist political party in the United States, and even the most radical left-wing members of Congress do not support policies that would lead to a communist takeover of the U.S. government. In terms of the student loan forgiveness plan, the U.S. has had farm subsidies since the 1930s, as well as subsidies for the oil and gas industry, in addition to any number of other industries that are heavily subsidized by the U.S. government. Despite these subsidies, the U.S. still has a free market that is deeply rooted in the fundamentals of capitalism. Now, I include hyperlinks to all of the stats that I just dropped, including a great one that goes into far more detail about the history of subsidies in the United States and the different various industries that are heavily subsidized besides oil and gas and farming. Um, I don't want to get into it now because it, it's going to take up too much time in the in the podcast and newsletter. However, I do want to point out that part of the reason why, and this drives me crazy, it, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I, I won't shut up about this. I'm, it's kind of an annoying trait of mine, but I get very annoyed by the misuse of the term socialism. Why this gets confused and that people will point to AOC or members of the squad and call them socialists is because of the term democratic socialist or social democrats. And that is a political movement that is in Scandinavia um, that is not actually what we would call textbook socialism. I view socialism as the government owns the means of production, meaning the government owns the factories, the businesses, all of the means of production. Uh, that is not what exists in Sweden or Norway. What happens in those countries it, or Denmark is they have a free market where companies are privately owned. Some of them are multinational corporations. Some are owned by just a local citizen in Norway, for instance. And they have like a mom and pop coffee shop or something. That is free enterprise. That is capitalism. The difference is in those countries, they spend a, a, a larger portion of their taxes on social services. So you can get paid leave. You can get free health care. You can go to college for free, depending on the circumstances. Uh, you can get subsidized housing. It's, it's, it's more equitable and it's a larger share of their economy. Now, in the U.S., we also have a very large public sector spending, meaning tax money that goes to pay for government services. But in the United States, the largest chunk of our money goes to pay for, drum roll please, this should not be news to most of my listeners, the military. 
where Sweden and Norway and Denmark do not spend much on their military, the United States spends an enormous amount on our military. And so our public sector spending is actually larger than what Sweden would spend or Denmark or Norway. It's just we are spending it on missiles and guns and personnel and bases all over the world. Okay, so the next up, we had two, two count them, bogus experts of the week. And if you don't know this podcast, I tend to do a goofy voice when I do a bogus expert of the week. Why? I don't even remember, but that it got started and now that's what I do. So the first bogus expert, which means bogus expert means a person who acts like they know what they're talking about when they don't know what they're talking about. Like they have no training and stuff, you know, like bogus, you know, fake. So our first bogus expert of the week is Alec Epstein, a writer with degrees in philosophy and computer science. Epstein has no scientific training or expertise in the energy industry. He is the founder and president of the Center for Industrial Progress, a for-profit think tank in San Diego, California. Fox described him as an energy expert. Epstein has been active in both the Cato Institute and the Ayn Rand Institute, two libertarian think tanks. Epstein was asked to speak about green energy scams. So while on Jesse Waters' primetime, Epstein made a puzzling statement. This is a great example of word salad nonsense. The issue is all forms of energy impact nature. And the basic idea of green is that you shouldn't impact nature. So actually the green movement is hostile toward every form of energy. Now, I have no idea what he even meant by that. So the green movement is against all energy. All right. That makes no sense. That's ridiculous. That's a stupid statement. And you have no scientific training and you've never even worked for an energy company. How the hell are you an energy expert? It's scary how you can really write a book about anything and find a publisher who's willing to publish it and then just call yourself an expert. Doesn't mean you know anything about the subject. So this next uh, bogus expert was also called in to talk about, you know, green energy scams. And it was a man named Christopher Horner. He appeared on Tucker Carlson tonight when Tulsi Gabbard was sub-hosting. Horner is a lawyer who has built a career as a climate change denialist. He has no expertise or scientific training of any kind. It was revealed during a bankruptcy proceeding in 2015 that Horner was being bankrolled by Alpha Natural Resource, a coal company. From Exposed Shameless Climate Denial brought to you by Big Coal by Lindsay Abrams for Salon.com. This is the quote. Horner has often cast scientists as villains. He claimed on Alex Jones' program, Infowars, that climate science is a backdoor strategy for enacting global governance. On Fox News, Horner mysterious claimed that the White House science advisor, John Holdren, is not borderline communist. He's communist. So Horner was a guest on Tucker Carlson tonight. Last week, the segment he appeared on started off about the polar bear population, but quickly went right off the rails. So Horner spoke in tapestries of word salad. This is the quote, and this was cut down from a much larger quote. What Horner does briefly is he basically filibusters. This is a common technique by propagandists. They'll just keep talking, and you have no idea where they're going. Jordan Peterson is the master of this technique. He says nothing, yet just keeps talking to the point that you're a person who's not sophisticated, who's not really listening, will, will just get sucked in and believe whatever nonsense they're being told. 
So here you go. Here's the clip. It speaks for itself. And again, this is cut down. I, it was difficult to edit him because he never, he did not speak in sound bites. He speaks in long, drawn out, crazy passages. So Enron set about to work with their friends. Kenley was very good at this to add value uh, by by through wealth transfers from making the public buy their stuff. Uh, or, or guarantee either coercing you to buy it, mandating you buy it, kneecapping the opposition, and that continues, and it has produced this this many many billions of dollars every year uh, renewable energy industry. So again, that's an excerpt of a much longer passage where he doesn't really breathe, and he just keeps dropping platitudes and heated uses heated language, doesn't offer any specifics. So like what? products are they selling? What are the mandates that are implied or imposed upon them? And who are their customers? How are they manipulating the market? Never includes it. Just very broad, very heated, very billions and dollars and people and forces. And anyone who appears on Alex Jones, give me a break. Now, this next section is called stories that Fox News ignored. And every week, I compare 15 hours of Fox News to five hours of the PBS News Hour. I chose PBS because it is straight down the middle nonpartisan, and every week PBS gives me far more stories than Fox does, which is very telling that Fox News viewers are just not getting a lot of stories that a normal news consumer would get. So here's the list. It's not as bad as it is in most weeks, not because I watched double the amount of Fox News, but because it was a holiday week. So here we go. Japan suffered from multiple blizzards in the northern part of the country, causing multiple fatalities. A congressional report faulted both a drug maker and the FDA for an approval process rife with irregularities for the Alzheimer drug Alduem. Two congressional committees also faulted the manufacturer Biogen for an unjustifiably high price of $56,000 a year. PBS produced an extended segment on the many legislative successes in the last Congress, including the Inflation Reduction Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, and the CHIPS Act. Applications for unemployment insurance rose only slightly last month, indicating strength in the U.S. economy. Rapper Tory Lanz was found guilty on three felony charges, including assault with a semi-automatic handgun for shooting his then-girlfriend rapper Megan Lee Stallion. Stallion was shot in the foot and initially tried to cover up for her then-boyfriend. PBS included information about the trial, but also produced an extended segment about how black women often face backlash when they are abuse victims. Residents in Jackson, Mississippi, continued to have water problems due to crumbling infrastructure and extreme weather. A court in Myanmar again finds ousted leader Aung San Suu Kyi guilty of corruption. She faces a total of 33 years in prison after a series of politically charged prosecutions meant to legitimize the military seizure of power from a freely elected government in February of 2021. A recount confirmed Democrat Chris Mays won the race for attorney general in Arizona. Mays beat his Republican opponent by a mere 280 vote margin. Last week, the Taliban ordered that women can no longer work for non-governmental organizations, including relief agencies. In response, four of the largest international NGOs decided to suspend operations in the country. 
Chinese President Xi promised to strengthen ties with Russian President Vladimir Putin as the war in Ukraine wages on. The new far-right-wing Israeli government, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, vowed to expand Israeli settlements in the West Bank, restrict rights for LGBTQ people, and limit judicial power. Advocacy groups in Thailand push for the decriminalization of sex work and increased rights and protections for sex workers. South Korea fired warning shots as North Korean drones entered its airspace. South Korea also began anti-drone training drills after the incident. China sent 71 warplanes and seven ships towards Taiwan. The move was a reaction to appropriations for Taiwan in the U.S. annual defense spending bill. Adam Fox was sentenced to 16 years, while his co-conspirator Barry Croft Jr. received a 19-and-a-half-year sentence for their roles in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. PBS produced a segment about the struggle to memorialize the site of the Weeping Time, the largest slave auction in U.S. history. Activists are battling the city of Savannah, Georgia, that plans to build a homeless shelter in the same area. The exact spot of the auction is in dispute. So those are all the stories that PBS covered that Fox did not. By the numbers are graphs of the top five categories that each network um, featured. Uh, It's always hard to do these audio-wise or much more visual. Fox News was very predictably very heavy on the border. That's sort of their evergreen topic. They'll whip that out at any time. And honestly, I could show you a segment from February when I started this project, put it right next to a segment from last week, and they'd look exactly the same, which is why I don't bother. It's the same thing every single week. Um, They also featured the University of Idaho murders quite prominently, took up 10% of their airtime. PBS spent entirely two minutes on the story. It is a captivating story. However, I don't know if it warrants 10% of an airtime of any news organization. Um, They talked about the Twitter files last week on Fox, but that was all old material. And then crime increasing, which is another evergreen topic on Fox. And then Pete Buttigieg was significant at 3%. PBS was a severe winter storm, Judy Woodruff retired, COVID in China, Netanyahu leadership in Israel, and they had an advocate profile, which was the story about the sex workers in Thailand. So the words used on Fox News for the week ending last week, uh, January 1st, 2023, border 425 times. That was more than Biden. Christmas was mentioned 292 times. This gives you a sense of how weird the footage was, last, the coverage was last week. Government, 187 times. Pete Buttigieg got 109 times. Trump was mentioned 111 times. AOC made the list with three mentions, so she's slipping. Um, DeSantis was mentioned 13 times. And Hunter Biden got 52 mentions. And again, this is kind of double what I normally do, so the numbers are much higher. So coming up, if I have time this week, I'll include a second podcast newsletter for the best media clips from 2022. Really honestly depends what happens this week. Otherwise, I'll be covering Fox and Friends, The Five, and Jesse Waters' Primetime. I will also be appearing on a podcast produced by The Lincoln Project on Wednesday. I don't know actually know when it's going to air, if it's going to be live or not. I'll keep you posted. The Lincoln Project is a right-wing Republican advocacy group, but they are moderate Republicans, and they are very anti-Trump. 
And I decided to go ahead and do it since I know I have a lot of moderate Republican fans and followers and a lot of former Republicans who could relate to the Lincoln Project. And I know they were controversial and I understand that, but I think it would be good for this project in general. And I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you so for supporting the podcast. Um, if you'd like to donate, please go to my Patreon. Thor and Odin, my cats, send their love. Thank you for listening. I always appreciate it. See you at the next podcast.